Welcome to the DLA Piper Financial Services Podcast. This series discusses the big issues in financial services, providing market and legal insight into the latest trends and challenges in the sector. Hello, I'm Sahil Ali. I'm a partner based in the Leeds office at DLA Piper. Uh, and welcome to the latest episode of the DLA Piper Financial Services Podcast Series. Today, I'm really pleased uh, to be joined by Umar Suleiman, the General Manager at Wahid UK. Wahid is a New York headquartered fintech. I believe it's the largest Islamic finance fintech, which offers digital financial services to retail customers, uh, including ethical wealth management. I genuinely feel really honoured, Umar, to have you in this virtual room with us. You're far too kind, Sahel. Far too kind. It's an honour to be here. <laughs> I believe we have a, a a genuine expert in Islamic finance. Let me just ask you to just, for the benefit of our listeners, just to introduce yourself and your and your background. Thank you very much. So yeah, GM for Wide Invest UK, uh, obviously headquartered in, in the US, uh, but we're servicing around a quarter of a million customers globally now. My background was actually in risk and technology. And alongside the risk and technology, I spent uh, the last 15 years of my life kind of uh, as a personal interest piece, first of all, and then more formally in the last kind of five to six years in Islamic finance, understanding the jurisprudence behind it, I guess from the the religious um, contract perspective, and then more formally as a consultant within Islamic finance, as well as being the GM for Wahid Invest. I also sit on the board of the UKIFC, which is essentially an advisory body for governments and other not-for-profits around the world. And I also sit as an economic and business advisor to the Islamic Council of Europe, which is a pan-European Sharia panel made up of a number of different scholars. So it keeps me quite embedded from the, the I guess, the, the Sharia aspect, the pure Sharia aspect. I'm involved in the industry from the from the IFC, so I understand what's happening in terms of the, the growth of the wider Islamic finance ecosystem. And then obviously my day job on the front line, so to speak, with the products and and the consumers. Fantastic. Really, really good to have you with us. We want to talk today about litigation funding and specifically whether litigation funding is Sharia compliant. And I guess before we delve into the subject, a question to you as to how much do you think the industry or the sector knows about litigation funding? And What's the perception? You have quite a unique perspective sitting with these Sharia board scholars. Really interested to see how much you think the industry knows about this. Yeah. So I would say, look, whilst um, I guess the Islamic finance industry and the the legal industry has had a very long relationship, I guess, from its inception, it's kind of grown hand in hand. The relationship has mainly been based on, on, on transactions. So uh, where lawyers come in, lawyer, legal firms like yourself have been advising on transactions, etc. So the vast majority of the touch points have been around, around transactions. Where we get into litigation, it's actually quite a novel area because depending on the jurisdiction in which the transactions taken place, the um, forms of recourse aren't really a talking point in Islamic finance. And I think part of this has been the from a cultural aspect, actually, because it's a growing industry, do we really want to discuss disputes? Um, but there have been some quite headline, quite some famous disputes in the past when it comes to Islamic finance. So generally, the industry doesn't discuss disputes, either because they've dealt with them quietly 
or they don't have the same tools to deal with them as perhaps you would in conventional finance. So this is a new uh, a new tool that's been brought to the arena. And I think it's definitely worth discussing and seeing what does it mean from a Sharia perspective in terms of things like opening up access to justice. And that's quite a big word, but I'm, I'm sure it's something we can discuss, you know, does it do that? Will it give more people access or more companies access to kind of financial fair play? So it's interesting from that point of view, but it's it's new and, and, and the scholars need to look at it and we'll see that. I think it'll grow and it may be shaped still. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think as a, a litigator myself, who does both Islamic finance disputes and non-Islamic finance disputes, I, I think there has generally been a reluctance from Islamic financial institutions to get involved in disputes. A lot of times that's been because of a, a sense that there might be a challenge to the underlying principles uh, of Islamic finance or the sanctity of the principles. But I think, as you, as you rightly say, I think litigation funding is really relevant now. And we'd be interested to hear your thoughts. But for me personally, I think the current pandemic really has changed the dynamic somewhat and actually makes it a, a really interesting and relevant area because on the one hand, you've got a lot of litigation funders entering the market, particularly from the, the US and Australia, where they've been around for quite some time now. You've got a, a growing and more favorable legal and regulatory environment here, particularly in the West. So the EU recently has required all member states to implement what's known as the Collective Redress Directive into national law by uh, 2022. Essentially, what that will do is make it a lot easier for big consumer class actions to be brought against certain individual defendants. And then we've had one or two court decisions uh, here in the UK as well, which have sort of, again, made it a lot easier to bring these mass claims. You put the two together, the potential to bring these big mass claims on behalf of a large population of people, plus the funders trying to fund these claims, and then you put into the mix the fact that we've had the pandemic and you've got cash flow and liquidity concerns. You've got uh, a lot of businesses in distress situations, non-performing assets. And I feel as if you create this perfect storm, but in many respects, it's a, it's a real benefit. And we can get onto the subject of you know, the Sharia compliance, but I think the market is, is there. It's ripe for litigation funding, but particularly for Islamic finance institutions who've tended to, as you say, have tended to shy away from this sector. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting that you said that about the US and Australia being more mature in this area. I mean, we, we know the US to be more litigious from culturally. Um, we, UK is behind from that perspective. But I think if we look at the kind of trajectory within general, the financial industry, and I can speak about the financial industry, is that it was all about disruption. The last five years, four years, three years, there's been a lot more disruption. The rise of fintechs, um, and I'm sure legal tech's a huge growing area. I know DNA Piper is doing a lot of work in this space as well. Um, so around fintechs, we've seen disruption has been going on. The, the old kind of behemoths of financial institutions are broken down now. You've got a lot more players in the market. And it's almost ironic that the largest disruptor occurred last year with COVID because that essentially disrupted everything, the way we live our lives. And so you've seen all of this disruption happening from a technology uh, and, and a business player perspective. Then we've had this global disruption. The world's a different place now. 
there was a different place. And now we've got to interact with this. And what it's shown actually is that there's a level playing field out there. You know, access to taking on the big guys is, is something that people actually aspire to now. They think, well, actually, anything can change. You know, if the whole world can come to a standstill, then, you know, whereas perhaps you may feel apprehensive or smaller organizations will think there's no chance, no chance of taking on the big boys. You've seen actually there's a change now where actually we can. And technology has enabled that along the way, being connected to each other. We talk about uh, disruption, but at the same time, global connectivity has increased. So now somebody sitting in the middle of Guatemala can connect themselves with someone sitting in a remote village in Malaysia. And they would have interacted with, say, the same financial institution based perhaps in Western Europe. And they think, wait a second, we've been treated unjustly here. And so all of these things coming together and being able to connect those dots is why a product like this is, is opportune. You know, I think from a mindset perspective, from a technology perspective, and just a general timing, you know, when we look at the world and people's perception of how you take on the giants, giants aren't giants anymore. The, the, the household names, they don't mean the same to the, the new, new generation of millennials. You know, we'd, we'd aspire to work for some of the, the, the big, large corporate companies. They don't mean the same thing. If you just look at the top 10 companies from 20 years ago versus now, it's completely changed from financial institutions to technology companies. So that just shows you which way things are moving. So when you have a product like this, then it's suddenly, okay, you know, it's interesting. It opens up a whole new potential. Yeah. And we layer in the, the, the Sharia side, you know, from all of this. It's just, I'm at the moment, I'm just about general, like the marketplace. We're also looking at a rise of ESG investing and ethical investing. Uh, and, and, you know, this sentiment that actually people don't want to accept this, you know, the sentiment of fighting back. We've seen, why should we accept companies that pollute? Why should we accept companies that are not looking after the environment? You know, so again, it's this challenge that we see. I think it's rising in people. And so when you have a, a product um, that enables people to then enact that sentiment, then I think it's a good thing. And so from, from a Sharia perspective, it's only a few things we would look at is, is the underlying activity of the underlying uh, business case or the underlying case, is it Sharia compliant? It's, it's not, you know, someone got shortchanged in a gamble. From a Sharia perspective, we couldn't deal with that, you know. Um, so, so a transaction went awry in, in, I don't know, an alcohol factory. We wouldn't deal with that from a Sharia perspective because the underlying activity isn't one that's permissible. So obviously screening out gambling, financial institutions, pornography, arms, etc. But the business case itself. But here's a question I want to put to you, actually, Sal. Right? Whilst we know equality of access to justice is something definitely that uh, from a Sharia perspective, from an Islamic finance perspective, we definitely want. And the economic participants of that transaction you know, uh, should have an equality. Does this mean also that they're going to increase legal cases, people spuriously, you know, raising a case? How, how, how do we deal with that side of it? So I think it's important when we understand the context of litigation funding. Litigation funding is essentially when a funder is coming in to fund a case to pursue a claim which would otherwise presumably not be brought because of either liquidity concerns or because the, the business itself would like to retain the cash. And the beauty, I think, of litigation funding is that it allows access to justice in a way where the 
the funder and the law firm and their their interests are all aligned because they will pursue those claims that they genuinely believe will be successful because you as a funder are putting your money where your mouth is you know if we look at a, a, a an example uh, in a traditional funding setup let's just say you've got a claim a 50 million pound claim if it's going to cost you 2 million pounds in legal fees to bring that claim if you lose at the end of trial the lawyers will still have incurred, will still have received the 2 million pounds um the client will have spent 2 million pounds and actually when you lose the litigation more often than not you'll also be liable for the other side's costs so in some yeah. respects you'd probably say um that the lawyers will always win in that sort of situation because they will get paid <laughs> win or lose now in a funded situation if you have a 100% funded mod- model if a third party funder is paying for the litigation the only way they will make a return if the litigation is successful and there are some damages received so let's say in that scenario same situation the funder has spent 2 million pounds in legal fees rather than the client at the end of trial if the client has lost the funder is out of pocket by 2 million pounds and doesn't recover anything so would it encourage spurious claims i don't think it would what it does is it genuinely filters out i think those cases which are uh, which have good merits because a funder and a lawyer will uh, do their own assessment they will try and work out whether this is a case worth funding and if they do decide to fund it they're effectively um, vesting themselves in the outcome and that's why i think when you couple that together with the access to justice point which is otherwise a party a claimant would not be in a position to bring that claim because genuinely it's the funding concerns it is in my view and i'd be interested to hear your thoughts but this is genuinely sharia compliant because let's take it back 1450 years riba interest was prohibited the prophet peace be upon him was saying that you know really what we want to try and avoid is unequal bargaining positions where you've got the rich who can get richer and can exploit their positions at the expense of the poor so if you get this situation where you're genuinely leveling the playing field and you've got someone who has a good claim but the only reason he might not be able to pursue that claim is because of funding concerns but you've got a funder coming in assisting him with that claim who is genuinely interested in the success and outcome of that case that has to be sharia compliant in its you know in terms of the logic in terms of the principle uh, conceptually Yeah conceptually I agree with you because this is a very very important point that you've uh, actually raised this hell because look Islamic finance and, and the sharia talk prohibits one party benefiting unequally in a transaction where they protect themselves from any downside they're protected from taking on any risk and really it always calls to having some skin in the game risk and reward should be shared and that's a fundamental that you know irrespective of your economic background you risk and reward is shared based on what you put into that transaction and so when we think about litigation funding actually if um one party is willing to to fund and the other party brings 
the enterprise. So classically, would be like a Mubaraba contract where you have the entrepreneur and you have the rubble mal, the finances, and they come together. This is essentially a take on that from a different angle. So the entrepreneurs and also having some skin in the game are the lawyers. They've looked, and I know DNA Piper, when you're talking through the assessment that's done, it's quite in depth before you take on a case, you know, and to look through all the different details and then do the due diligence and then take on the case and then putting your own kind of enterprise on the line, you know, taking a hit on that. But the reward is the upside if you win. And so there's a win-win situation. And if there's a downside, then there's a downside for everyone. It's not as if you're protected by that, which is definitely in the spirit of the Sharia. You know, you've hit the nail on the head there. You've got a funder bringing in the capital. You've got the client providing the, the input, providing the engagement, the instructions. And together at the outset, they agree the the funding arrangement, the profit sharing arrangement, and there is no guarantee, as you say. The investor, the funder, could lose, could win, and therefore they share the risk and they share the profit together. And so it is, as you say, a classic Mudaraba, potentially Musharaka style uh, agreement. Agreed. So it's exciting. Where, where do you see it? What's the response been like to, to litigation funding when you've raised it? So we're talking to a lot of our clients at the moment. And one of the reasons we're talking to our clients is because DLA Piper has as part of its consultancy arm service, trying to develop focus on innovative new products. Uh, and an independent company called Aldersgate Fund Limited has been established through which we are offering our clients up to £150 million of funding towards complex litigation and arbitration cases. So there's a reason for us to go out and talk to clients and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the feedback has been phenomenal so far because I think it's one of those areas where clients want to know either what the catch is or because this is so good, uh, because they don't need to put their own money to fund a legal case. And actually, if they lose, it's the funder and the lawyers who are fundamentally losing out, not them. The, the tables are turned. They, they query why no one has, has sort of been offering this product earlier. So the, the response has been really, really positive. And from our perspective as DLA, obviously, this is a unique product. There is no other law firm that's offering this product. And for us, the USP is that because it's we're not dealing with an external third-party funder and we're dealing with people that we know and that we work with, they have trust in us, they have faith in us. The decisions, therefore, in terms of funding a case can be made much more quickly compared to traditional funders where you, you, know, you might be waiting six months for a decision because they're doing their own due diligence as to whether or not this is a good case, whether or not they're likely to make recoveries from enforcement. And we're also able to offer better rates compared to, say, traditional funders because, because it's an, an independent company, but all of the cases are exclusively for DLA clients. We can effectively do it on a portfolio basis and therefore cross-collateralize. So if you lose on one case, you don't necessarily lose out because this is, you know, you're, you're looking at as a, on a portfolio basis. And it sort of goes back to the Sharia point that in the spirit of providing access to justice, we're not necessarily therefore tied into getting the absolute slam dunk cases that we have to take a case where we're guaranteed to win because it's done on a portfolio basis. We are prepared and willing to take cases with slightly lower prospects of success. But again, it's all all tied into this access to justice point. So the response has been really good from clients. Something interesting as you're speaking, actually. So look, when we talk about the Sharia, uh, it means many things to many people. And we, we understand it very from a specific context in finance. But actually, a lot of people often, when they think of the Sharia, think of the punishment side. 
Now, even though punishment within the Sharia has been kind of clearly defined, you'll find that it was never actually practiced certain parts of the punishment. And I've got point to this, so bear with me, uh, during the life of the Prophet, peace be upon him. And um, what you find actually is that the, the punishment was so clearly articulated because it was there to ensure that people behaved themselves rather than for the punishment to be meted out. So when you have a product like this, so the litigation funding out there, I would think, I would hope that the industry behaves better because now they know that there is potential for them to be pulled up on it. And so from that perspective, maybe it's taking away from your actual um, work as, as you know, with the litigation funding, but if the industry as a whole behaves better, because now they know they can be pulled up, it also works as a kind of silent police force. And I think that's great because if people are behaving better, then you would hope that the quality of transactions feeds back in and then the well as a whole is purified. Uh, brilliant point. And I, as you were talking there and talking about the sort of almost silent police force, it sort of reminded me about one of the real key advantages of litigation funding, which is that one of the concerns that claimants have previously always traditionally had when it comes to fighting litigation is sometimes the concern that they might be throwing good money after bad. Um, you know, you might be dealing with, say, a non-performing loan or a non-performing asset, or you might be dealing with an insolvent estate. So if you go and incur a whole load of costs pursuing an insolvent estate or a non-performing loan, you may end up spending more money and actually, ultimately, there's nothing to enforce. This gives greater comfort and assurance that actually you can get a funder and the lawyers committed and vested in pursuing that claim. And it's not necessarily throwing good money after bad, because if you are ultimately unsuccessful and you recover nothing, uh, you've not actually incurred your own cost because the funder has put its money in and therefore in an unsuccessful outcome, it's the funder that loses out. It goes back to the silent police force point, because I think if you are a creditor in this sort of situation, you might almost previously have been reasonably confident or comfortable that you could default. And actually, if you're an insolvent estate, no one's really going to pursue you because you haven't got the assets. Whereas in a, in a, in a slightly different scenario model, uh, you now might be thinking, actually, if the lender or the client or the claimant is no longer viewing it as throwing good money after bad, there may be a greater risk. And therefore, I can see the point that it operates as a bit more of a silent police force. No, that's brilliant. And that's why I think uh, representing the Islamic finance industry, if I can say that, um, well, welcome this. I welcome this. And I welcome the innovation and the commitment from DLA Piper, from yourself, your team, and, and the rest of the Islamic finance guys, as well as in the uh, technology and in the insure tech space as well. I know you guys uh, and, and the legal tech space looking at lots of different products. And I think it's the, the time is ripe for all of this, actually. Uh, we've got to change things up. It's been, Omar, it's been fascinating talking to you about this. Um, I suspect we could go on for a lot longer. So um, I'm just going to ask <laughs> you to say some concluding remarks. But from my perspective as a lawyer, I'm hugely excited by this. And I think the key as a lawyer is making sure that the document that you're drafting, the funding agreement on day one, uh, is drafted in accordance with Sharia principles. So it's the point that you made earlier that as long as the underlying dispute doesn't in any way compromise or affect issues which would otherwise be deemed to be 
haram or non-sharia compliance, such as pursuing a claim for damages relating to pornography or gambling or alcohol, then in principle, it seems to me that you could structure this in a way which was very Sharia compliant, given the whole point is to allow people access to justice and to create that level playing field. So I'm personally very, very excited, but it will be interested to hear your thoughts. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. I mean, look, whilst we don't call for an increase in disputes and an increase in litigation, um, I definitely support the mechanisms and the tools to enable fairer access if the situation arises. And everything that supports that is something that we would support you know, as an industry. Brilliant. Super. Thank you very much, Omar. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Pleasure's mine. Thank uh, you. M- much appreciate you coming in. And uh, hopefully we could carry this conversation on another time. But for, for now, for this afternoon, thank you very much. Thank you. This brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, I'm Sahel Ali. My thanks to Omar Suleiman. If you would like to discuss in more detail any of the areas that we've covered today, please do get in touch. Many thanks. Any information in this podcast is for general guidance only and is correct as of the date of recording. This podcast is not intended to be and should not be used as a substitute for taking legal advice in any specific situation. For full terms and conditions, please see our website. If you'd like to hear more of the DLA Piper Financial Services podcast series, subscribe now through your usual podcast app.